Good morning, everybody. How you doing? You with us? Yeah. So uh, it was last summer I went on vacation to the mountains of, uh, of, of western North Carolina. Love that area. Love to go to eastern Tennessee, western Carolina. And we camp, and we get out in the wilderness. And one thing we got to do last summer that my kids had never been able to do before, but I had done, was go tubing down one of those mountain uh, streams or rivers. Have you ever done that before? Uh, if you don't know what that is, imagine... Um, like a lazy river uh, that you go to, like at a hotel, or like a water park or something, a little lazy river, the water's moving. It, you're in a big inner tube, and it's just like floating down a lazy river, except you might get attacked by a bear. It's like very similar, but way different. But you're, you're beautiful. You're, ta- you're taking in the mountains. You're taking in the, the scenery, and it's a slow ride. And, um, you know, maybe whitewater rafting is like, like on a 10 on the scale of going down a mountain river, and this is like down near 2. You're just totally chilling. Now, uh, chilling is right because um, not only are you floating down this stream, but it is cold. The water is cold. Even at this time of year, where yesterday it was in the mid-90s here, the water there is something like 40 degrees. It's, it's cold water. Uh, if, if you're not a, a science genius, um, water freezes at 30 degrees Fahrenheit, okay? And so this is, this, is it 32? Am I not even a science genius? I just like, um, it, it, it's, you know, roundabout that area. 40 is cold, okay? And so, uh, you know, people uh, say, you know, you, you get in it and you, you get used to it. And they're right. It's, it's, it's a good thing. It's fun. It's worth it. But I don't think that they're right about getting used to it, because you don't get used to slowly being frozen to death. Like, that's not, that's not something you should get used to. I think the scientific term for that is losing feeling in your extremities. Like, you're, you shouldn't do that. But once you do, they're right. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, the numbness lets you have a lot of fun. To give you an idea, a lot of these things that have no bottom in them, and so, like, your butt is actually in this cold water, or if you're lucky, there's, like, about you know, a, a millimeter of fabric between you and this freezing cold water, which means you're still wet. Your feet and your hands, they're in the water. And, and the first moment you get in, there's like this <gasps> factor. But then like five minutes later, you don't feel your fingers and toes anymore, which is great because it gives some advantages to it. Uh, the advantages are you can walk across the stony f- b- creek bottom, right? The disadvantage is you might cut your foot and have no idea that you did it. Or you, you might, you know, be able to push off of these big boulders or bump into them and, and not feel it. But the disadvantage is tomorrow you've got bruises on your back and you can't remember why. And so there's pros and cons. Uh, the numbness that we experience when we do something like that, maybe you go into some really cold water, maybe you go into the ocean in like, you know, February because you're crazy or like some other really cold thing or maybe it's snow, you're from somewhere up north, there's a lot of snow and, and you've been out in the snow for a long time, you eventually lose the feeling in some of your extremities and you become numb and then you're able to do some of the things that you wouldn't have been able to do when you could feel the cold. Hold that thought, okay? Hold the thought of numbness. Hold the thought of what we're able to do when we are numb, and let me get us where we need to be today. We're in this series called Beautiful Contrast, and the whole idea, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is this really big chunk of teaching that Jesus does in the Bible, and we're going verse by verse through the whole thing. Uh, This has been on the calendar since, I think, September last year, and so as I've been working through it, it's neat for my life as I've come across a specific verse, I'm like, wow, that's something that I needed to hear right now. And God said uh, this stuff through Jesus 2,000 years ago. And so here it is today. And so maybe today what we get into is exactly something that, that's on your mind or something that you need to, to get into. Uh, these words were Jesus' words, and so I think it's important that we take a lot of time with them. We're actually going to be in the Sermon on the Mount for the majority of the summer. We're about to have a little break here. I think it's next week or the next week. I can't remember. We're going to take a little bit of break. We're actually going to look through the book of Jonah, uh, but then we'll get right back into uh, the Sermon on the Mount because there's a lot of good stuff here. And what we're seeing is when Jesus talks about the way that he wants us to live, there is a beautiful contrast between the, 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 the Jesus way and the world's way. 
The world would say we should do things this way and that way and this is why. Jesus says, no, I think you should do things this way and that way and this is why. And it's important. Uh, and, and, and that's what we're seeing line up time after time again. So that's why we're calling it Beautiful Contrast. If you've got a Bible with you today, I want you to go ahead and flip over to that. It's in Matthew chapter 5, um, and we'll be in uh, verse 27 to start with today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning, make sure that you grab one before you leave. Like if you don't own one, we have some that are scattered under your seats. Uh, those are free for the taking and for the keeping. Um, or you can uh, feel free to look at the screen behind me. I hope you have been bringing your Bible to church with you through this series. That's been the challenge that we've had. Um, and let me say this before I get into the verse today. Uh, I said it at the very beginning, but maybe you weren't here yet. The stuff that Jesus is about to talk about uh, gets into a little bit of mature content, maybe a little bit PG-13. And so uh, there are kids in the room, and the parents are like, I don't typically let my kids watch PG-13 movies. Uh, or maybe you haven't had the talk with them yet. Uh, it, it might be a good time to, to let them go hang out with our Venture Kids group. They're really great. Um, if they're getting this stuff in public school anyway, then they need to stay here because let's let Jesus tell them about it instead. Um, so, but Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, this is what we're going to get into. Let's just read the whole chunk for today. It's going to take us all the way to verse 32, okay? You with me? Ready? Let's do this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble... Gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, well, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Ooh, thanks, Jesus. Um, there's a lot of stuff we've got to get into today, and, and it's the kind of thing that when we look at it, it gets us a little squirmy in our seats, you know? Like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about this right now, but let's be honest. Around the world, this is what everybody's talking about. It's on the front page of every magazine at the grocery store, and it's something that your kids are hearing about in school, and it's something that was the center point of most TV shows and movies that we watch, and it has to do with sexuality and relationships and intimacy and where all that lines up with our relationship with God. And so Jesus brings up some stuff that a lot of people have questions about, and so what I want to do is I want to I take a look at uh, what Jesus says, and we're going to look at it verse by verse. We talked earlier about going numb to some things. And the things that we're able to do while we are numb to the feeling that we're supposed to have. And I think that this topic is something that as a people, we continually, generation after generation, go numb to. And therefore, we make poor choices and we dishonor God. And so let's look at verse 27 as we break this down. First he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay. You've heard that it was said. Now, maybe you haven't heard that. Um, I'm sure that 99.9% .9 of the audience Jesus had, probably 100% of the audience that Jesus was speaking to, had heard of this. This is from the Ten Commandments. He's quoting the Seventh Commandment from the Ten Commandments, which was the Jewish law. We talked about that a lot last week. It's the heart of the Jewish law. And uh, adultery was strictly forbidden by Jewish law. In fact, Leviticus 20 verse 10 says that a man and a woman who are caught cheating on their spouses are supposed to be put to death. Okay, so adultery was taken very seriously in Jewish law. God's standards for holiness are unmistakably high. Okay, and he says, this is how I expect you to conduct yourself when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to marriage, when it comes to these things. And these people that Jesus is talking to, they knew it. You've heard it said, he says. They, they knew it. 
These people, this audience, they get it. They've seen the drama in the town square when somebody got caught, right? And they get drugged out of their house and all the people come out. And they maybe have even known about someone who's actually been executed because of this particular sin. Maybe they had an uncle or an aunt or a cousin and that happened to them. And that was like the, the fear story their parents told them their whole life growing up. Listen, you don't want to be like Uncle Johnny. Because you remember what happened with him, right? Like, you know, like your parents did that with you about stuff. And so they knew, they knew what Jesus was talking about. But like last week, these people hear this and they're like, yeah, yeah, I know the law. Don't commit adultery. And the majority of people in the world don't really commit like physical adultery. I mean, most people don't. And so the audience is sitting there thinking, I guess I'm pretty good then. I've never like blatantly gone out and cheated on my spouse. Or maybe I'm not even married, so I'm good to go, right? But Jesus does what he did last week when we looked at the previous section. He raises the bar. Look at verse 28. He says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman, and I'm going to add, or a man, lustfully, with lusts in their mind, has already committed adultery in his heart. See, God's standard is unmistakably high. And Jesus wants to make sure we know that. It doesn't just extend to the physical realm, but even the things that happen in our minds dictate a lot about where our heart is going and our relationship with God. Jesus is saying, I'm not just saying wait around until something physical happens. I'm talking about this stuff cannot even exist in your thoughts. You need to begin to purge this from your person because it is going to pull you away from God. Jesus spoke these words 2,000 years ago, but they could have just as easily be spoken today. In fact, they are. We're speaking them today, and they're very clear, and it's very obvious that it's a situation that our culture has gone numb to. This is what happens. Uh, We have these sexual images pumped into our eyes and ears every day. Every day, so much so that we become numb to it, we become callous to it, and what happens is it normalizes something that God forbids. And God says, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and then we have phrases like, well, it's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. This is something that's not a big deal. It's part of our culture. It's not hurting anyone, but the truth is, it is hurting people. It hurts you because it hurts your relationship with God, and it hurts God because it breaks his heart to see us disobey him. We become numb. We become numb to evil, numb to the pain that it causes. And when you're numb, you don't even realize how close you get to the fire and you've burned yourself. And so then we step back and we're like, how did we get here? How in the world did our culture get in this mess? Why are younger and younger kids being exposed to pornography? Why are there so many teenage pregnancies? Why is there so much confusion about sexuality in our world? Why is human trafficking at an all-time high? Why are marriages falling apart? Why is the nuclear family a relic of the past? Why? What's going wrong? How did we get here? How did we get burned? Because as a people, we've turned our back on God's design for intimacy and relationship and sex and marriage. And we've done it for so long that we've lost feeling as to what God wants us to do. It's like trying to type with big work gloves on, right? You're fumbling around. You can't find the right keys. And we don't even know what God wants for our lives anymore. And we've replaced God's plan with a cheap substitute of our own creation. But Jesus wants us to get the feeling back. He wants us to know what it means to love and experience relationships the way that he intended them. So let's pick up the passage, Matthew chapter 5, now in verse 9. It's kind of crazy, but stick with it. We read it a second ago. He says this, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble... 
cut it off and throw it away. Again, it's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. In my opinion, this is like the hard, most hardcore thing Jesus ever said. <laughs> it's like, what? What? And so there's been a lot of debate throughout history just how literal Jesus was being here. In fact, throughout history, many people have taken this verse literally, and they've gouged out eyes, and they've cut off arms. Um, there's actually one guy, a scholar named Origen, and uh, he actually had himself castrated to keep himself from lusting. He was really ticked when he found out that it didn't help. He still lusted. Why? What does Jesus say? It takes place in your mind. And so as you read it, you've got to see that Jesus is exaggerating a point to say, listen, I want you to understand whatever it takes to rid yourself of the stuff that's happening in your mind, you need to do it. You need to cut it off. I've heard it called radical amputation. Get it out of your life. And so here's a more practical question that, you know, before you go poking eyes out and chopping hands off, because what good will that do? You poke out one eye, you're just going to look with the other eye, right? You cut off one hand, you're going to look with the other hand. And, and until we have no hands and eyes and arms and ears, and, and, it's in, and at the end of the day, we still have our mind, which is what Jesus is talking about here. So here's a more practical question. What is it in your life that is leading you, specifically here, to lust? Last week we talked about you know, digging out the root of, of all sin, and so maybe lust isn't a big issue for you. Maybe there's another sin that's going on in your life. This principle would still apply. But what is it? Is it too much time alone on the internet? Well, get rid of that time. Cut it out. Chop it off. You don't need that time. Or maybe even that device. I know of people who have gotten rid of smartphones and gone back to ordinary flip phones because they were like, I just don't need the internet in my life because it puts me in a situation where I can do things that I don't need to be doing. Uh, maybe uh, it's going to the beach where all the beach bodies, man, they're everywhere and they just get, they, get in, they get in your head and you just can't shake it. And so I know people who they've decided they won't go to this specific beach. They'll go to a different beach where there are fewer people or they, they won't go during certain peak hours. Or I know a lot of people who won't wear sunglasses on the beach because it allows them to not let their eyes wander quite as much. It's, 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 what does it mean? What is the value of it in you? Cut it off, gouge it out, throw it away. Separate yourself from the things that are causing you to be pulled away into things that are going to pull you away from God. Um, and so, as we're looking at this thing Jesus says, gouge out the eye, cut off the hand. Listen, what is that thing that's pulling you into sin worth to you compared to living a life that honors God? And is it worth it to cut that out? To throw it away? To close the door on a relationship? To stop visiting a certain store to cancel a cable subscription, a magazine subscription. To end this thing that's pulling you away from the holiness that God desires for our life. Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes to protect yourself. If we're numb to sin, one way to get the feeling back is to get out of the freezing cold water. <laughs> like, what am I doing in here? This is the whole problem in the first place. I've said this before, and I hope that you hear me say it today, that if you've if you got to struggle with some of these issues, uh, maybe you're stuck in an affair. You've got something going on. It's like it's behind closed doors, and you're stuck. Maybe you've got a situation. Uh, maybe you're just addicted to looking at pornography online. And listen, I'm not even stepping out on a limb here to say that that's probably true with a lot of people in this room. Recent statistics show that 64% of all adults regularly view pornography online. That includes men and women. And that on average, children are exposed to it as young as 8 years old. And so I suggest that we get serious about this. What is it? And so like I said, I've said this before and I hope you hear me today. If there's some of these big issues that are happening in your life, seek help for that. 
accountability groups. Maybe you've gotten to the point where you need to even go to see some counseling about it. Uh, I know the lust issue in my life has been something that I, I've had to really tackle. I've been in accountability groups. I've got filters on my internet. I have apps I won't keep on my phone. I spent a year in counseling dealing with it. I'm not afraid to stand here and talk about it. Because for me, it's willing to cut those things out of my life rather than be drug away into the temptation that's going to ultimately pull me away from God. So I'd encourage you to be brave. Have the conversation with a friend, uh, with a relative, with somebody that you trust, maybe with your spouse, and just say, listen, is this something I'm dealing with? And only Jesus can help me get out of it. Can you help me get there? Can you help me get there? When Jesus, when Jesus is saying, don't be numb, this is a huge issue. We've got to get out of the water. Now, the whole point of Christianity is this. And I want you to hear this, okay? Because sometimes we get into some of these do's and don'ts of Christianity, and we're like, okay, that's right, that's right. I've got to do and I've got to don't. I've got to do and I've got to don't. Never lose sight of the fact that there is forgiveness and there is healing through Jesus, no matter what we've done. In fact, he is our only path to being completely made whole. But it is our responsibility to step away from the things that are intentionally pulling us away from God, right? Okay, so there's there's a side that Jesus takes care of, and that's the heavy lifting. That's the spiritual salvation part. But then there's still the little pieces that we need to pick up. Get out of the water. Remove ourselves from these bad situations. If you're here for the first time today, you're just visiting, or maybe you're coming. uh, If this is your very first time, you're like, dang, I picked a doozy. Um, But, uh, you know, if you're here for the first time, I hope that you find some encouragement in this thought. That no matter what it is you're going through, Jesus has got a plan to get you out of it. That's his whole deal. And he brings healing completely. And he brings forgiveness completely. And if we can experience this life that God has designed for us when we begin to seek him. And so that's why Jesus is saying all this. So, okay, so we're almost done with our whole text. That's the majority of it. That's probably two-thirds of the whole thing. And we're going to finish unpacking this passage. Uh, Jesus finishes, as he talks about adultery, he gets into what might be the most common uh, effect of the sin of adultery. And Jesus drops the D word here. Did you catch it? Divorce. And he said it. And, and, I, and here's the thing. It's possible that more people in this room are affected by divorce than by any other single thing. I mean, whether it was your parents or, or you going through it or your best friend or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's everywhere in our society and it, it affects so many different little facets of who we are. And, um, and so I realize this is a tender spot in most of our lives. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Like, it kind of hurts. It brings up some bad things. And so my goal is here to, on the one hand, be sensitive to the pain that you may have, but also say a few things here that I think will help you heal. And the first thing is this. Before we dig in, it needs to be clear that though the Bible does say, there's a passage in the Old Testament that says that God hates divorce. And why wouldn't he? Because it hurts us. But the Bible never says, and Jesus does not say, that he hates divorced people. God loves all people. No matter what we've been through, no matter what hurt we've struggled through, okay? And so, and, no matter, and if you've been in that situation or you're going through it right now, you need to know, like, the best place for you to be is right at the feet of Jesus. Like, help me get through this. That's the only way I'm going to be able to deal with this. Uh, I have seen sing, second singleness and second and third marriages be absolute blessings from God. Anybody here like, yep, <laughs> Yep, because sometimes you're stepping away from that situation that's actually pulling you away from God, or maybe it's an abusive situation, or there's all kinds of things, and you just have to get out of it. God can bless that second phase of your life, that third phase of your life. He does that. But nonetheless, there is something said in the Bible about divorce. And so let's just start by talking about what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 31. He says, it's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Once again, he's talking about the Old Testament code. And basically, it's like, listen, divorce is permissible. But if you do that, 
you have to come and there's a process and you got to, you know, just like here, you got to fill out a form, you got to wait and whatever it is, you know, 365 days or whatever it is in North Carolina. And like that's the, that's the whole deal. You've heard it said that that's, that's the deal, but he says, I want you to be aware of something. Verse 32, he says, I tell you, if anyone does divorce his wife except for sexual immorality, it makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So he, he just kind of really is having this conversation about adultery, but he steps into this and he's like, listen, divorce is a question you've all got questions about. It's an issue you've all got questions about. I need to let you know that God has a plan for marriage and anything outside of that plan is, it hurts him, right? So just like today, there was a lot of debate back then about when is it okay to get a divorce and when is it not? Uh, there were these two great Jewish leaders, um, rabbis, a guy named Hillel and a guy named Shammai, and these two guys had like kind of polar opposite views. There's a verse in Deuteronomy Chapter 24, uh, if you read 24, 1 through 4, it kind of gives most of the code on Old Testament div divorce laws. And here, it says basically this. If something indecent is discovered in a marriage, then you have grounds for a divorce. Now, the debate was over what exactly constitutes indecent. <laughs> like exactly what is indecent. Uh, let's see if I got the right guy. This guy, Hillel, felt like that it could be as simple as a wife being a bad cook. Like if she burns your breast breakfast, he's like, oh, that's indecent. That is indecent. <laughs> I'm, I don't think that that's what God meant by that. Uh, and then Shammai limits it to physical adultery, and that's what Jesus actually says. Well, listen, well, adultery actually happens in the mind. So it seems like there's something a little more than that. Uh, but this debate's going on for a year. I, th I think that uh, it raises a question. What does the Bible teach about divorce? Um, maybe you've looked into it yourself if you've been in that situation. Uh, but I'll tell you this. It's not really a tough question to answer on the surface level. I'll give you just kind of a, a simple answer. This is what God says. God says, well, divorce isn't my plan for you. It's not my plan for you. Let that sink in for a second. He says, divorce isn't my plan for you because I know it's going to hurt. It'll be like one of my children coming to me and say, hey, dad, what is your plan for me, getting in, for me to get into a bad car accident? I'm like, well, I don't have that plan for you. Like, I don't want you to get into a bad car accident because that will hurt you. And so in the same way, uh, if, if you've ever gone looking for a verse in the Bible where God's going to help you get out of your marriage, um, that verse isn't in there. Um, he, he's, he's in there saying, Listen, I, I, my plan for you is to stay in this thing. Uh, but uh, he understands that in our own human nature, it's going to happen. Jesus is talking about it here. The Mosaic law in the Old Testament gave uh, a place for it to happen. God understands we're not perfect. And so if there's anyone who uh, needs to end a marriage, there, there is a time and a place for that. And he knows it's going to happen. But there's still plenty to be said on the topic. Okay, And so, so what happens if I am thinking about divorce or if I have been divorced? Uh, let me take a step back. I'm going to look at kind of three tiers of people. And I think it probably hits all of us in the room. The first one is this, the people who have never been divorced, ever. Maybe you're not married, or maybe you're currently in a marriage that's, that's still going. The first goal, I think, if you look at what the Bible says about marriage, is this. His first goal would be for us to prevent divorce by putting God at the center of our relationship. That's the first goal, okay? So let me speak for a second to, um, to this. The, let's go back to the story of uh, being in the freezing cold water. Like, he's like, look, don't put yourself in freezing cold water. Those of you who are in dating relationships right now, if your dating relationship isn't right now one that's centered on seeking God with your life and putting Jesus first, ask some of the older people in the room who maybe started with a relationship like that. Ask them how much it transitioned later. There are stories of people who, after marriage and after years and years of whatever, the significant other decided to, hey, listen, I'm going to serve Jesus with my life. But there are so many other stories of people who are like, look, the relationship started like this, and it stayed like this. My encouragement for you would be to say, in the relationship that you're in, 
Make it Jesus-centered. And if it's not, put the brakes on that relationship until it can be. Let's prevent divorce in the first place. Um, maybe you are married, but your marriage is kind of on the rocks. And you're like, yeah, I'm not divorced yet, but it's headed that way. Um, I don't want to overgeneralize this because there's so many factors, but maybe first, before you take it to court, take it to Jesus. Like, let's get in the Bible together. If, you're, if your spouse is willing to sit down and look through what God has planned for our marriage and look through maybe, I mean, going to counseling is a really big deal, but go to Christian counseling that's going to try to help us get to the bottom of our relationship and figure that out. You know, that's, that's a place to start. Now, I realize there are definitely times, I mean, and some of you in the room would tell me, listen, I tried that, and the other person was not on the same page as me. Well, just like last week, you go to them and you do the best of your ability to make things right. And the rest of it can be placed on them. Uh, and if there's a situation, there's a lot of question about, you know, what about if it's an abusive relationship? Um, I looked and looked as I studied this. I've been studying this, this particular passage for like a month and a half. Because, man, when I saw that it was coming up on the calendar, I was like, come on, God, do I have to like really talk about that? Like, can we just talk about something different? But it's there, and I want to handle it. I want to be honest with it. And um, it's, it's really, you don't, there's not a passage that says what to do in an abusive relationship specifically. Um, but I do know that thing, something indecent that's discovered, and y'all, you know, maybe it's time to get out. And maybe if they're not honoring the original vows of your marriage commitment, I think that God wants us to be safe. I don't think that he wants any of us to be in a position where we're willingly being subjected to abuse and violence. And so what we got to do is get to a safe place. And what I would recommend you to do is to find a good Christian friend to pray through that with and work through that with. And many of you could speak to it much better than I could, but just to say, look, there might be a time where it's time to step away. But before we do, instead of taking it to court, let's take it to Jesus. Because there are also many stories of people who are in really bad relationships, but because of time apart and spending some time praying and getting close to God, both of the people in the relationship were able to heal and bring it to Jesus. I'm no expert on the subject. Please continue to look for more answers. But I feel like we have to cover it at least on that level. And so that's the second group of people. And then the third group of people is those who have been divorced. Um, first, let me say this. Man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through that. I really am. I know that on your wedding day that wasn't your plan. Right? We don't have to drag up hurtful memories. So I won't go into it anymore. But here's the good news. Divorce is like any other thing in our life. It is not unforgivable. God can carry you beyond that. The love of Jesus can get you to a healthy place, even if you were the person who was guilty in this situation. There's forgiveness from God for that. Now, the person you hurt may never be able to find it in their heart to forgive you. But from God, maybe you can seek him, and definitely he can forgive you. And so what, what if you've been through a divorce? You know what? I think it's kind of neat because it kind of funnels right back into all the other parts of our life. Anytime something's broken in our life, what should we do with it? Take it to Jesus. My marriage was broken. It didn't work out. Take that part of your heart back to Jesus. And I think the best thing you can do is, is understand this, that you can go to God to seek healing. You can go to God to seek forgiveness if, if you were guilty of something and you needed to. And the beautiful thing is uh, you can move on. Let me give one piece of advice. Again, I'm no expert, but I've got a lot of friends who have been through a lot of stuff. Some of them are you. And my advice is this, don't move on into another relationship yet until you've really grounded yourself in what, where you stand with God and that he completes you. It is God's plan that he complete us. And anytime we go into a relationship hoping that someone else will complete us, we are putting way too much pressure on them. 
because they got enough issues of their own. And so come together on your own and with God and heal in that way so that when you move into a new relationship, if that does happen for you, uh, you can be healed and you can go into that saying, listen, I'm full because of God's love. And now our lives can come together and we can be, we can be one together. Um, so there was that. Adultery, divorce, sex. Uh, Jesus has just opened up a can of worms right here. And, I, and it, I'm kind of mad at him that it's only like this long in the Bible. I'm like, come on, like, can we get, at least get like a chapter, like a whole like a whole book on it, for real. But he's like, listen, this is not complicated. It's really not. But you've got to start at square one and understand who I am and what I expect from you. And so as we close out today, what I want to do is take some things that I've gleaned, gleaned from looking at uh, kind of the entirety of the Bible. What does God say that we should do as we move forward in this topic of you know, adultery, divorce, sex, that whole kind of category of life? Uh, there are three little memorable Phrases And as we go through these, I think that if we can recognize these three things, something beautiful can happen for us as a society, in our marriages, in our dating relationships, and even, yes, you personally. This is what can happen. You can begin to get the feeling back. Maybe you've gone numb to some of these things, but you can begin to get the feeling back. Here are the three things. Uh, the first is this. We've got to learn that sex was God's idea. Sex was God's idea. It wasn't our idea. The first man didn't just wake up one day and look over at the first woman and go, yeah, yeah, let me try something. That didn't happen, okay? The guy was like, this is what you should do. Go into the world. Be fruitful. Multiply. That's like one of the first instructions from God. It was his idea. And so we come up with all these ideas like, man, God's against it, and Christians are all just sticking the mud, and God's like, for real? Were you there when I invented this thing? Because I was like, dude, that's genius. They're going to love it. It was his idea. And, and people have the idea that God is against it, but he's not. He's all for it. But here's what he knows. That's the first, that's the first point. You got it? <laughs> Write it down. Here, here's the thing. He knows like you do that it is powerful. Sex is powerful. And that's the second point. It can hold control over people. It can make or break relationships. It sells magazines and cars and cheeseburgers. And anything and everything in between. But those are not even its strongest powers. More than it being powerful to hold power over someone or, or corrupt, listen to this. Something spiritual happens in sex. Uh, and we can't fully understand what goes on in the spiritual realm. Uh, but you need to understand this. Both Moses from the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament say this thing. That in, in marriage, when there's the physical union, the two become one. Okay, that's, that's the phrase that's used there. Maybe you've heard it in a, in a wedding ceremony. It's in the Bible. I think it goes deeper than just a metaphor of, and they get a joint bank account. Something spiritual happens to there. And, and I, just, I just wish I could fully understand it. Um, but something spiritual happens. Uh, if you look around the world in cultures where they worship idols and, and demons and things like that, uh, one of the ways that um, their worship happens is through some sort of sexual union. Why? Because there is something spiritual about it. God designed it that way. The Apostle Paul adds to the equation in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, if you want some, uh, some good reading about this whole topic, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 gives you some interesting stuff. You should read through that. It's pretty good. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 18, he says this, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you see what he does there? He kind of puts it in another category. He's like, there's, there's sin, and it's all bad, and it all keeps from God. But, like, you need to know this one sin, it's, it's kind of different. It's kind of different. Uh, verse 19, do you not know that your bodies 
are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Like God's spirit, when you become a Christian, comes into your life and your body becomes his temple. He doesn't any longer dwell in a building. Uh, There's no such thing really as a sanctuary. God comes into our own lives. What else is within our bodies, kind of metaphorically? Our own soul. This is a spiritual thing happening here. Um, He said, don't you know that your bodies are the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The whole context of that chapter is sexuality, okay? I'm not trying to squeeze a, a, a square peg into a round hole and make this verse fit. No, he's saying this is a spiritual issue, and sex is powerful. And things happen in the spiritual realm that we can't begin to understand. And that's why this particular thing causes so much pain and so many problems, because it, it goes deep. Imagine that. God knows something about something that we don't. And he's given us rules that we can't begin to understand, but he's saying, I'm saying this because it's to keep you safe. Sex is powerful. It's more than just skin on skin. It's soul to soul. And the third one is this. Sex is for marriage. Because it's so powerful and because God created it, he gave us a safe place to use it. That's why. Someone comes to you, your kids come to you, and they ask you, why? Why can't I? And you say, God created it, it's powerful, and he gave us a safe place to use it. And it's for marriage. It's not, uh, it's not for mature people. It's not for people who are in love. It's not for people who are ready. It's not for people who are consenting adults. These are all the things we say that it's for. It's not for that. That's not what God made it for. It's his idea. It's for married people. Period. End of story. No exceptions. That's not me talking. That's the Bible. Why? Because God loves us, and he doesn't want us to be hurt. I don't care if you're engaged or you plan to be engaged. It's not God's plan for you to have sex with each other. If you're cohabiting with your significant other as if you're married, there's a reason why that's not God's plan for you. And I know it's cheaper to share rent. I know. You don't have to tell me that. I pay rent too. But the question is, are we willing to disobey God for the sake of financial convenience? And don't you have a friend that can move in as your roommate? Move back in with mom or dad? I'm not going to be the one who says, you know, you need to rush into marriage. That's silly. (laughs) See previous part of sermon. (laughs) Take our time with this and do things God's way. And maybe you're in a situation right now, look, I told you this has been on the calendar since last September, okay? I'm not calling anybody out on any of these topics. In fact, if anything, I'm being convicted myself in my own life through the things Jesus said in these passages. But what we've got to understand is when we realize we're wrong with God, we've got to get right with God. That's the bottom line. Sex is powerful, and God created a safe place for us to use it. The world tells us that it's better to do it their way, but let me give you a heads up. The world stinks at marriage. Let's stop listening to what they say about it. And let's see what God says about it because he created it. He knows it's powerful and he gave us a good place to use it. That that numbness that we were talking about, God wants us to find our feeling. And he wants us to be able to experience the full life that only he can give. And that's today's piece of the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling this series Beautiful Contrast because that's what Jesus offers us. A beautiful contrast. He could take the ugliest parts of our lives, the most hurting, the most difficult to manage, and he can make those parts beautiful because he says, listen, I got you. 
I love you. I want what's best for you. I provided all of this for you. Please, turn to me. It's not always an instant change when we turn our lives to God. But listen, it's always beautiful. It is always beautiful, and it's always better. Our world has become numb to the things that hurt us. And Jesus brings life, and he brings feeling, and he brings healing, and he brings forgiveness, and he brings hope to those who seek him. Um, As I close out, I want to say this. Um, Look, marriage isn't easy. I talked a lot about divorce. I talked about adultery. I think we all get that, like, it's not good to, um, you know, mess around with sexual things with our mind. Like, that's that's probably, but the, the marriage thing is hard, right? Like, my wife and I just celebrated our 13th year of marriage a couple weeks ago, and it's, uh, it's been great. It's been awesome, but there have been hard times. There have been times that we've grown up and we've learned about each other and learned. And as you grow, right, those of you who have been married, you know, 25, 30 years or more, you know, it's like, man, the more you grow older, the more you realize, like, you're growing up too, <laughs> still. And your kids grow up and move out of the house and things become different, right? And then you get a new job or you move to a new city and things become different. Listen, the coolest thing is that God has given us each other as companions. And if you are sitting in the room right now with your spouse, even if y'all haven't talked in 24 hours or uh, your wife has pinched you in the leg so many times a day that you are mad, um, even if that, let me tell you something, you're blessed to have that person in the room with you here today. And, and I want to say it to both of you, do this together. This, this God thing together. Take some time at lunch today or this evening before you go to bed. Like, listen, what Chris said today, what Jesus said a long time ago, that struck me, and I want you to know I'm working on it. I'm working on it. If you're a person who your spouse won't do church with you, I want you to know you've got a family of people who are praying for you. And I know that I, I do. I pray for you. I don't know all of your situations, but I try to. And, and I would encourage you, if you're in a small group or if you know someone at church, just encourage them to pray for that spouse. Um, not to beat them over the head with a Bible, but just show them, like, look, I'm going to church, and my life is different because of it. And maybe by looking at your life, think, I mean, I want that too. Patrick preached a few weeks ago that when people see our good deeds, they'll see us, but they'll give glory to God in heaven. And so maybe that's what you need, just to know that keep it up. Keep it up. Let's get out of the freezing cold water, okay? Collectively. There's towels waiting. Dry off. Let's get the feeling back. Let's start living the way of Jesus so that we can start to feel the life that he laid out for us. And let's learn to live that beautiful contrast. Can I pray for you today? God, I thank you for these words you shared. Um, I thank you for, as much as I kind of have dreaded it for a long time, um, for allowing me to stand on the stage and just say the things that you laid on my heart. I pray right now a prayer over this room. Uh, There are a whole bunch of different types of people in this room. Some of us who uh, are super committed to you and others who are just trying to figure out if it's even something we want to get into. And Lord, as that has moved forward, I, I I just pray that you come into our lives and you just teach us day by day how to live for you. Your, your standards are unmistakably high. And so when we look at that, it's, it's daunting. <laughs> how in the world could we ever measure up? But we don't have to. You came down here and you make up the difference. And you meet us where we're weak. And you mend us where we're broken. And you hug us where we're hurting. And you hold our hands when we're scared and all those things. And I pray right now over our purity and our minds as our culture is just uh, hypersexual. I pray for our marriages, that they will be strong. 
I pray for those in here in this room who are maybe at the very last chapter of a marriage. They've, they've tried all the stuff and they're just at this last end. And I pray what you, what you do is just help them find healing. If they need it, that they find forgiveness. and That in, in the end, you just show them the beautiful contrast that you offer. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his words. Thank you for his boldness. And um, thank you for helping to bring the feeling back. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.